Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Shalom, holy friends. Great to see you. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, we love learning with you at Valley Beit Midrash, and we hope you'll join us next week for a provocative talk from Rabbi Dr. Nathan Lopez Cordozo, who lives in Yerushalayim in Jerusalem, um, who's talking about, was the Holocaust a divine punishment? He is looking at that controversial theological position, um, and that will be on February 23rd at 10 o'clock. And we have so many other programs coming up. Don't forget about Dara Horn um, in person and virtual on March 2nd. Uh, New York Times bestseller book, People Love Dead Jews. Um, so we hope you will consider that and many other great things. Today, it is our honor to be here with Rabbi Dr. Mira Neshama Weil, who um, is going to talk today about what if faiths for not faith for non-believers and other ways of rethinking emuna, other ways of rethinking faith for non-believers. Let me tell you just briefly about her. Rabbi, doc, uh, uh, Rabbi Dr. Mira Neshama Weil is a student of life, Torah, and meditation. Born in Paris, she earned a PhD in sociology of religion at École de Haut, Études en Sciences Sociales in Paris. Oh, I wasn't prepared for that. And received Orthodox Micha from Rabbi Dr. Daniel Sperber at Beit Midrash Har El in Jerusalem. A certified Jewish experiential educator from Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies, yoga instructor and mindfulness teacher at the Institute for Jewish Spirituality, Mindfulness Training Institute. Mira is on the faculty of Or Halev, Applied Jewish Spirituality, and the Romamu Yeshiva, and she teaches internationally at organizations and individuals about Jewish wisdom and contemplative practice. I think we're all in for a treat with Rabbi Dr. Mir Neshama Well. Thank you so much for joining us. Ashmuri, thank you so much for having me. Friends, welcome. Welcome, and um, first of all, I want to see with a show of hands if you can see hear me well. Can you hear me well? Yeah? Okay, great. So I want to invite us to start by taking a breath. If that's available for you even to close your eyes or to gaze down to kind of like go within and connect with yourself right now from within. And if that feels weird, try to open up to the experience with curiosity. And to meet each other from within for a moment. To just like land in the space of learning together today. We're all coming from different time zones and from different parts of our day. For some of us, it's the morning. For some of us, it's the, uh, I'm just going to, well, for some of us, it's the evening. For some of you, it's the middle of the day. And you're doing something very holy. You just took an hour in your day to learn Torah. You know, and Torah, when I'm, when I'm saying learning Torah, it's much more than text. It's actually really learning from wisdom, the wisdom of life. And um, I'm actually very excited to be sharing with you about this topic, which is a very light and easy topic, right? Faith and Muna. But it's actually something that's very um, close to my heart at the moment um, and already for, for a while. And um, when Rashmuli and Alex invited me to speak with your beautiful Bedminrash today, I thought, you know, what is a life for me right now? What is really meaningful to me? What is important? And I thought it's this question, because it really is a question, a question of faith. And now I'm realizing that the timing is kind of perfect, 
because in the Torah, we kind of read the passage, really the leap of faith in a way that it took for us, for Bnei Israel, to cross the Yam Suf, to leave Egypt, and then to be in the desert, which takes really, really kind of reiterating this kind of faith in Muna every day, right? And then we're about to welcome also Shadesh Adah, uh, in which we will find Purim, where this question of faith and feeling God's presence or not, and trusting enough that we can be bold and daring is very alive also. So I felt this like perfect timing to speak about this question. And I hope you're ex as excited and curious about the topic as I am. And uh, I will really invite you to kind of, uh, as I'm speaking and sharing with you texts, and I really want to invite you to think for yourself. What does it do to me? Is it relevant to me or not? And then we'll have a moment of discussion after, and I really look forward to hearing your thoughts and your your questions and everything. But before that, I want to start with a song, because after all, we're Jews, and um, I feel very close personally to the Hasidic tradition of really, really starting by kind of attuning our bodies and our souls and uh, the ruach, really the spirit, and also the breath, the wind that goes through the throat and everything through song. And this song is uh, actually a song that uh, we sang when we crossed the sea and we celebrated. We celebrated my strength. That's my literal translation of it because it's like grammatically incorrect and there's a lot in it. But my strength, and the song of Hashem, of God, will be for me, for my salvation. And that to me also relates to faith in the sense that we go here to call on two things at the same time, my, my own strength, and then the song of God, the playfulness and lightness and grace of God. I'm not a musician, okay? It's just sharing, just sharing some um, beautiful nigun I love, and I want to invite you to sing with me if you know it, and if you don't know it, to sing with me, because what matters is to really use your voice. <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
want you to think about what your strength is. Something that you feel is your strength. And where the song of God needs it. Where you feel sustained and supported by the song of God for your own strength. And feel free to write it in the chat so you can share with others. strength is their family and community and loved ones. Before Lorraine is singing on Friday night during Kabbalah Shabbat. Beautiful. For me, part of my strength is emuna, is faith. And uh, it hasn't been kind of like a steady linear journey. I don't know for you. And I actually want to invite you to take a moment, including your friends who are with us, with the, with the podcast and the recording, to take a moment to think about your own faith. Like, what is my faith? What does it mean to me, emuna faith? What do I believe in? Who do I believe in? Do I call it God? Do I call it something else? Just take a moment of reflection. What is it for me? How is it alive? Or maybe it's not alive. Maybe I have a crisis right now. Or maybe I'm actually a Jew who doesn't believe which, by the way, is really not a problem, actually, because our religion, unlike Christianity or Islam, is really not founded on belief, right? It's really founded on belonging, what we're born into, and then the whole question of how do we choose what we didn't choose? How do, how do we choose who we are? How do we choose a relationship? How do we choose to relate with Torah, with mitzvot, with... Um, Hashem, and I really want to invite you to be very true, very, very true with yourself right now. Like not trying to, you know, nothing, nobody has anything to, to prove or there is no 
right or wrong or good faith, bad faith, or good you, bad you. Just open questions, really open questions. And I think it's very important to question things that sometimes we tend to take for granted, right? And then the second layer of question is, where does that come from? Your relationship to your faith, your relationship to God or not, right? Is it something that comes from your family, the social environment you grew up in? Does it come from... Does it come from things you learned at school or you heard in school? Does it come from books you read? Does it come from your own journey? All right, I think it's very important to kind of question, where is it coming from? And how did my life experiences and the people and the social environment and the systems that educated me, how did that impact my own relationship to what we call a nothing? I can share personally that I grew up in a family without any type of faith uh, and without any type of religion. And that for me, it really came from within and it came very slowly and it came quite late in life. So it's a very personal journey. Um, and we'll also talk about, you know, this question of faith and then faith in what and how do we call that? Because there is more than the question of faith in God here. So, so how do we trust life? How do we relate to life? Do we tend to see ourselves as someone having an optimistic approach right, to the future and to life? Or with a type who kind of prefer um, even consciously to be pessimistic because it's less scary? Right? Do we dare being optimistic? Or is it something that's more challenging for us? And I can share for you that it's kind of it's been one of the starting points of the whole reflection for me, because you know, God. God is a code name, right? God is not a person. It's a code name for what I call the source of life, what the Meolinaim calls the life of life, the Meolinaim, the Hasidic master, whom we talk about in a moment. But it's very, it's very much part of my life. And yet my husband keeps telling me, you really don't have faith, do you? <laughs> so it's interesting. It's more complex. It's more complicated. It's not just do you believe in God, do you not believe in God, you know? It's a really existential stance in life. And uh, because I live in Tel Aviv, but not just because, because I would have done that anyway. I want to start with a joke, um, an Israeli joke, which perhaps you know already. And it goes like this. So it's a chiloni Israeli, so someone who is not religious, right? There's a name for that, this category. And he's looking for a parking spot. And if you are a New Yorker or living in a great city in, in, in the States where it's very difficult to park, you might relate to the Tel Aviv condition that is just a nightmare. It's so much so a nightmare to park in Tel Aviv that we have a car, we don't use the car, we take a taxi. <laughs> we need to go somewhere just because after you need to park. So he's looking for a parking spot. And he's looking and he's going around, around the blocks and around the city for like an hour. And after an hour, he can't take it anymore. And he's like, okay, God, okay, you know what? If you exist, if you're there, and if you find me a parking spot, I promise I'm doing tshuva. So he was lifting his eyes and looking up and saying that. And he looks down in front of him and he hasn't finished his words. He sees the car parked in front of him, 50 meters, leaving the parking spot. And so he says, oh, that's okay, God, I found, thank you. I love this joke. 
And one thing I love about this joke is that it actually reminds us that somehow this idea of calling upon something greater than us in dire moments, in difficult moments, is almost part of our DNA as humans. You know, there are a lot of stories of people very unreligious who in really times of, so this is a joke, right? It's looking for a parking spot, but in times of distress, in times of Ill, terrible illness, you know, just they don't even know why this is what came. This is what came from, from them, right? Just the prayer, spontaneous prayer. And sometimes the prayer came with, I don't know who you are and I hate you. And why did you leave us? Why did you abandon us during the Shoah or things like this? But there is a conversation. There is something coming. There is a famous story of a, a rabbi uh, in Israel who's Chabad now and who was also like a Chiloni Israeli, like really not religious. And he uh, went uh, in, in the trek in uh, the Himalayas in India and Nepal. And, and at some point he almost died in the snow. And he, um, when he was there, he had the Shema coming, just, just coming out of nowhere, just out of nowhere. So there are things in us, there are things in us. And it's a great mystery. And I think it's part of faith actually. It's part of faith and it's, it's part of what the divine is, this great mystery, but this kind of deep, deep intuition, something that comes out sometimes and we don't know where it's coming from. And one thing I've realized is that many people who self-define as non-believers, if you actually ask them, what is your relationship to life? Something like this is going to come out. My aunt, all her life, I've heard her say, I don't believe in God. This is bullshit. This is nothing, nothing, nothing. And one day, not so long ago, she was like, oh, yeah, of course, I believe there is something. You know, of course, there is something sacred in the world. It's just I don't, I hate this, you know, the God in the of the Bible. In my end, um, I think there are millions like her, right, who just don't relate to the image of God. Not just the God of the Bible, but also the, the image of God would be kind of fed. And I think that's what I want to address. And I want to say something quite provocative in a way. That. I'm not even sure that there is such a thing as non-believers. I think it's something that goes up and down. I think that's something that's complicated. But I think the, the real issue is more um, not believing or not believing, but it's more which God? Which God do we not believe in? And some of you may be familiar with uh, Rabbi Alamu, the Levracha, right? Who's a really very inspiring rabbi. In San Francisco, um, passed away in the early 2000s, 2009, and um, he started, you know, meditation group with with a friend of his, and, and people would come to him because of the meditation and because they felt, oh, we can relate to him. He could be our bridge between, you know, our thirst for a spiritual practice, and maybe Judaism. And I think that's also part of the beauty of 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 us actually is that even when we're angry at God, somehow there is a, there is a thirst that is still alive. There is a desire for connection even if it comes um, through anger and questions and, you know, challenges and challenging rabbis, you know, but it's there, like it's alive. And so people would come to him all, all the time and explaining how angry at God that they felt. And he would say, describe to me the God you don't believe in. And then they would go and describe this, you know, God in the sky and who, you know, with the beard and who does and decides. And, and he's like, oh, I don't believe in that God either, you know? And that's very much my position, very much my position. And, um, actually Maimonides' position. Um, you know, Maimonides really cautioned us uh, against what really became what I call the, the kindergarten God, which is this kind of personified um, um, 
image that really constricts the infinite. And so we're going to look at this today. We're going to look at um, kind of this um, this this God beyond kindergarten God. And then um, I want to I want to invite us to look at actually what does that faith, the movement of faith in a way, mean? And I I'm going to share my screen right now. And I made a couple of drawings to kind of express what I mean by that. Um, so I'm going to move this on the side. Okay. So this is, I think, a classical idea that we have about faith, that there is me, and then there is a big question mark, and then there is this kind of movement. There is this kind of uh, space that I'm trying to bridge, and that I feel that, oh, I have to kind of go find that and understand that. And where I want to invite us to go to today is first of all, explore what's in the question mark and then question this movement. Does it have to look like this? Or, and this is the Hasidic stance, can it be this? Can I, instead of trying to go out, outward to find God, to find faith, can I just turn within and see what happened? And this is not just the Hasidic masters. This is actually a beautiful teaching by the Midrash and Bereshit Chaba. So we'll go, we'll go back to this. But um, so for now, the question of faith in who? Faith in who? So I really want to start by the kind of like uh, beginning of the beginning. First of all, I just want to, uh, Alex just, po just posted the source sheets for whoever wants to have them on your own laptop. So very simple, you know, chat. Torah, always starting, I like starting with the Torah, always with the Pshat, and this is the moment where Moshe meets God, right? And is asking God, you know, if people are asking me who you are, what am I going to say? Mashmo, right? What is God's name? What shall I say to them? And God says, I will be that I will be. And then he repeats itself, right? Thus you will say to the to the Israelites, to Bnei Israel, And you may be very, very familiar with this. It's actually a conjugation, a conjugation of the present or of the future. It's being. I will be that I will be. And I think right there, we have something that really saved us from this kind of very, very narrow definition of God that many of us grew up with and that, that actually took away many of us from, from religion, from Judaism. I have a very dear friend who grew up Orthodox and who just could not relate. My husband grew up more Orthodox in Israel. And uh, when I met him, he had really left aside kind of religion because he just couldn't relate to this kind of idea of God he had been fed and he had forgotten that even the Torah is telling there is no person, there is no name and the whole, you know, King, Melech and these are metaphors and my mommy just reminds us of this but this is not what people are taught, taught sometimes in, in, in schools and yet if we look at the Torah, the Torah is saying God is just presenting itself as being and being that will continue being, pure being definition of life the force of life and i remember my husband when he started reading kabbalah after we met and kind of opening um and and hasidut and opening to like other discourses about the divine he immediately 
reconnecting because she's like, oh my God, nobody told me. And stuff, the infinite, it's as simple as that. And maybe you are very familiar with that. But for some people who had more traditional upbringings and in Israel also, um, this is not being conveyed to people, this idea that it's something ingressible and it's the infinite source of life. I just want to pause here for a moment and just let that kind of like resonate, thinking. Right, and there's an insistence in the text, right? This should be my name forever. This is my my affiliation for eternity. And because it's so big, it's not so easy to talk about this. And we need language, so we say God or we say Hashem, right? But then this kind of immensity, this kind of great mystery, um, it's very easy to kind of trap it. Yeah, I'm going to try to speak up, no worries. I'm actually going to take it one And so, you will have the source sheet with you. So I'm not going to go over all the sources. I put um, the opening of the Mishneh Torah by Maimonides here, and also the opening of the Moranebuchim, the Guide of the Perplexed, where Maimonides is really, really is calling God for, first of all, the first cause, and then reminding us, and I'm, and I'm really scrolling over it because I want to go to the next sources, but this is for you to have, and you, you can read it again. Um, where Maimonides is really reminding us, you know, when God says, let us make the human being in our image, it really doesn't mean that God has a physical shape, right? So really, really reminding us, um, inviting us to not trap God into a shape and form. And reminding us of the um, incorporeality of the divine and the unity of the divine. And yet, you know, we forget that. We keep forgetting that because it's not so easy to grasp the ungraspable, right? Uh, the theology that Maimonides was talking about is, has been called negative theology because in a way there is nothing we can say because it's so beyond words. And then the question is, you know, where can we find the faith? Where does it come from and where does it go? Where can we encounter the divine? Because faith, in a way, it's um, emunah, right? It's it's a way of saying I have a relationship. I don't know what this is. It's a great mystery, but it feels very real to me. And so here, I brought something that I'm learning at the moment um, with students. It's the Parashat Shavua from the Me'orinayim, which means the light of the eyes. This is the Rav Menachem Nachum Chernobyl, one of the first Chassidim student of the Baal Shem Tov. And um, he really is one of the first ones to talk about really this idea of meeting God from within and actually meeting God within. And he has this absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous way of talking about the divine. First of all, he reminds us something that you may be familiar with. This idea that God, that the earth is full of God's glory. Right. And this is something in a way that Spinoza was talking about, the, the kind of sense that there's a divine presence everywhere. 
And maybe this is something that speaks to you, maybe not. But I heard many people say, you know, and, and including people who self-define as non-believers, right? Say, oh yeah, when I'm in nature and when I see the grace of nature, it just feels alive. It just feels sacred. Like it feels that there is something there. So this is another language to say, you know, the kind of the, the glory of the divine feels the whole earth. I was also struck also when I, um, you know, I, I hear a lot of non-duality teachings, secular non-duality teacher teachings. And it's, so these are people who are really a-religious. And it's funny because when they talk about life, they keep, in a way, they keep talking of how sacred it is, that there is sacredness that is palpable, that there's something deeply alive. And so the kind of other side of the same coin of Melokol Aretz Revodo, is there is no place devoid of him. Meaning, it's the same way of saying the same thing with a twice negative form, right? That like, there's nowhere that God isn't. There's nowhere that the divine isn't. Everything is alive. And then the male benign is inviting us to practice, to a spiritual practice that I find very, very beautiful. Like many Hasidic masters, he reminds us that we, we can fall as human beings. Sometimes we get, you know, desperate. Sometimes we get depressed. Sometimes we lose trust. And not just in life or in God, in ourselves, right? In people around us. And he's offering a way to work with this. And what he's saying, basically, and I'm scrolling down again because I want to go there. He's saying it starts by kind of acknowledging the divine presence within us. This idea that my life, right, my me today, Mira, this body, this woman, the life that breathes in me is not just me, it's something else. It's the life of life moving through me. And so he's calling God, he has this very, very beautiful way of calling the divine, the life of life. And saying that all the living things in the world animals and beasts and birds and the human species, everything, the life force, the life force of everything, is the divine. You know, in Bereshit, in the narrative of the kind of creation of the human being, right, the text tells us that we were brought to life through the movement of God breathing within the human being, nishmat chayim, the breath of life. And in meditation, when we do this practice of feeling of breath, there is always this invitation to notice, is it me breathing right now? Or is it something happening? Is it a breath breathing itself by itself through me? And I want to pause here again and invite you maybe to close your eyes again and to take a moment to feel that, to bring curiosity to your breathing. And again, I want to invite you, if this is new to you, to be very open, to be playful even with it. Be open to explore, to feeling your breath moving through you naturally at its own pace without you needing to do any specific effort for that.
And then when you bring curiosity to it, when you really observe the phenomenon, begin to ask yourself, is it me breathing? Does it take any you know, willpower? Does it take any action from me? Is it me doing the breathing? Or is the breathing breathing itself through me? Am I being breathed? And so I invited us to do this exercise so that it's not just an, an intellectual thing that we're doing, but actually experiencing from ourselves. What is it like to feel the nishmat chayim, the breath of life? What is it like to feel the chayut, the life of life moving through us? Because that's really what it is. And I feel that really, even for mental health, right? Because when, when we tend to be in depression or sad or down, we tend to feel disconnected, right? Disconnected from others and sometimes disconnected from ourselves and disconnected from life. But if we reconnect just to that truth that the breath breathing in us is much bigger than us, it's the breath of life. It's breath with a big B, with a large B, and it's life with a large L, not just my life, but the life. And maybe the divine breathing through me. And suddenly, at least this, I can start with this feeling reconnected with all of life, actually, with all of, of what's alive and with the divine. And going back to faith, you know, we all have, even if we're very skeptical and skeptical and cynical, there are things still that we believe in. We believe that, you know, unless something was really wrong, we're going to be able to take the next breath and we're going to be able to hopefully wake up the next morning, right? But at least we believe we're going to be able to take the next breath. So there is faith because there are things that we believe in and that we trust in a way, even if we have no guarantee, right? And one of the things we can really um, nurture in terms of our faith is, oh, when I take the next breath, I really connect to the divine, I connect to the sacred force of life, I connect to something so much bigger. And here I also want to add that, again, this is, you don't have to believe in God, again, if the God language is complicated, first of all, there are many, many words, I life, source of life, and life of life. Some people like um, the vocabulary of Shechina, the divine presence, which is also a feminine term. Some people like um, talking about the Ein Sof, the infinite. And some people really, really don't like the God language. And they're going to talk about a higher power, for instance. And again, like talking about non-believers, quote unquote, um, the 12 step programs like Alcoholic Anonymous and things like this, which are wonderful, amazing programs that really help people recover from addiction. Their kind of basic premise is for people to kind of realize that there is something bigger than them and that they can rely upon it. So it's almost like faith is not the um, kind of arrival point or a path, it's actually the beginning. It's the starting point, not the end point. It's like we have, in a way, we have to start by taking this leap of faith. And that's part of faith. If we want something to kind of wake up in us. Oh, I'm glad, Jen. I'm glad. 
And speaking of leap of faith, I want to go back to Torah again. Um, this is something we read a couple of weeks ago, right? When Bnei Israel were stuck between the sea in front of them and the Egyptian army behind them. And they started crying out to Moshe and they were very scared. And Moshe said, you know, don't worry, you know, calm down, stay stable, stay still, and you will see and see the salvation that God will, will make. And Moshe, by saying this, he was embodying one posture of faith, which is to say, I trust God will take care of it. I don't have to do anything. And do you guys know what was God's reaction? Just want to see by your faces, anybody. So God is very interesting because God doesn't say, great, Moshe, you're right. You know, you guys should just trust me and I'll, you know, take care of it. He says, I forgot the exact terms, but something like, why are you crying to me right now, Moshe? Tell, tell them to get going. Tell them to get started. And that's a very, for me, this scene, it really encapsulates what's faith, what faith is about. On the one hand, a deep trust and kind of trusting that life will take care of it. But on the other hand, the fact that we can't just stay still and wait and see, that we have to get going, that we have to make the first move, that we have to walk. And only when we start walking, something starts happening. And I'm sure you've all experienced this in your life. If you were changing, you know, jobs or living a difficult relationship or starting something new. Right, you had to start going for things to start opening in front of you, right? And this is actually a midrash on this moment, telling us that nobody wanted to, to make the first step in the sea because it was still closed in front of us. How scary. But that Nachshon ben Aminadav started, and he started walking until he had water up to the chin, and then the water started opening. So that's part of faith is that on the one hand, we need to have this kind of boldness and courage to trust. And on the other hand, we need to have the courage to, to get going and to not wait passively. Now going back to the nine, he's offering, he's inviting us to do a little practice, a little meditation actually exercise, which is an inquiry. When we feel down, Starting by acknowledging kind of like the lower point, the lower, like the the most basic of things we can acknowledge. Hello, Chayen, I am alive. I may feel terrible. I may feel desperate. I may really feel like I'm at the end of, you know, of it. I'm alive. This is something I can't deny. I'm alive. And then bringing question to this. What is this life of mine? And starting from the premise, which is also a choice, right? Faith, there is also a notion of choice in faith. I choose um, to see, to acknowledge, to feel that this kind of life force and the life of life is not just mine. And then what is this life here? Oh, well, that's the divine. That's the creator. That's the source of life breathing into me. And this is a practice I do with students on one-on-ones and um, with people sometimes who feel down. And it's actually extremely powerful. We're not going to do it now because we don't have the time. But this kind of inquiry, really going within 
and feeling for real the source of life breathing within us. And before we close this presentation and before we open the question, um, I want to share with you another kind of dimension of this, this idea that there is something that comes from within about faith. And that's a beautiful midrash about our first patriarch, our first forefather, Abraham Avinu. You know, this question of faith that somehow it's something that comes from within, right? A kind of intuition. And again, this is an invitation for you to explore your own faith, with it be it faith in God or faith in life or in something else, that if you have had some faith, and it can be also faith in your project or in something you really wanted to bring to the world. And it's almost like it comes from within and we don't really understand why and how, but it feels really strong and we just follow it. And to me, in a way, that's what the Midrash is telling us about Abraham. And it tells us, you know, talking about Abraham studying Torah. And Rabbi Shimon says, you know, he didn't have a father teaching him. And he didn't have a rabbi. So then where Where did Abraham learn Torah from? And then the Midrash says, well, God arranged for him his two kidneys. He made his two kidneys available like two rabbis. And they were nourishing him and teaching him Torah the Chokhmah. And I think this is another kind of very, very important dimension of faith, that it's a gut feeling also. It's a choice and it's a gut feeling. And then it's a choice to listen to this gut feeling and to give it credit. I'm just going to listen to it. I'm just going to trust it now. And one thing that can help us, one thing that can help us, um, oh, it's not here. I'm just going to see if I find it. Because one thing that can help us trust this gut feeling is actually what Moshe was sharing with us at the end of the Sefer Darim before leaving us enter the Holy Land by yourselves. Yeah, it's not here. I will I will add it and I will send it. It's, it's very, very beautiful. It's like Moshe's testament. And Moshe is saying, he's talking about Torah. And he's saying, you know, the Torah is not far away from you. It's not beyond the seas that you will need someone to go and fetch it for you. And it's not uh, above, beyond the heavens that you would need someone to kind of explain it to you. Because the thing, the word, the teaching, the instruction, Torah, wisdom, is very close to you. And I want to invite you to close your eyes now and to listen to what I say, to listen to what the text is saying. I'm saying it by heart because I, I, I don't have the source in front of me now. Moshe is telling us, by the way, I'm about to leave you. This is my testament. I'm leaving you Torah. I'm leaving you instruction. And remember this. It's not far away. It's not beyond that you would need someone else to get it for you. Things very close to you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. Just like the two kidneys of Abraham really this invitation of trusting. Just like the nishmat chayin, just like the breath of life, just like the 
aliveness of the divine is within us. Right? So we don't need to go over there. Actually, faith, there is something that's already in there. Maybe all we have to do is turn within and listen to it and see what it tells us. And these are the drawings I um, I shared with you at the beginning, right? But this can be a complicated posture. This can be painful. And this can feel very alone and disconnected sometimes. But if we do what the male and I is inviting us to do, what Moshe is inviting us to do, what Abraham did, and we can just turn within and hear and listen. There's something very intimate about Emina. And I want to finish on this. The last thing is that we think faith is up to us. Like it's our job to have faith. It's our job to trust. And I just want to finish with this. This is the first words that we're invited to say in the morning. When we wake up, so we acknowledge that we're alive, basically. Because is not just grateful I am, thankful I am. First and foremost, it just says, I acknowledge that I'm alive. I'm alive. And you brought back to me my soul because sleep is considered as like a little, little, little and one sixtieth of deaths, like we become unconscious. And then when we wake up, we basically are saying, I, I don't take it for granted that I'm alive. So acknowledge. And I thank for being brought back to life this morning. And then what does it say at the end? Rava and Yotecha. Great is your faith. Great is your trust. So basically, when we wake up in the morning, we say to God, I'm grateful. Great is your trust. And so many commentators have said, you know, great is your trust in me. I'm acknowledging that because I got this more, this one more day to live, it really means that you life, you God or you life, using your own God language or non-God language, you trust me, you trust me enough that I'm here. And my proof of your faith in me is that I'm here. And I'll stop sharing my screen here. Shlomo Katz was sharing this beautiful Hasidic story, and I can't remember which Hasid, but the story of a, of a Yidele, of a very pious man who basically was saying to God every night, you know, if you still think I have something to give to the world, wake me up tomorrow morning. But if you think I don't have anything to give, don't wake me up. And it's a way of saying, when I wake up, it's because I really, really feel that it's because life trusted me enough and thought I had still something to do, something to contribute to the world today, and this is why I'm here. So friends, yeah, I think it also brings a lot of lightness to faith, to remember that it's not, it doesn't start with us, it doesn't start with me having to have faith in God, it actually starts with me being invited to receive the faith that God, the faith that love, that life has in me. Faith is first something we can receive and we can and then we can draw upon just like oxygen or water so that we can go in the room. Let's take a breath together. Mm. And before we open the teachings, I want to invite you to, um, if you'd like to place a hand on your heart and a hand on your belly, and to see your own prayer. 
is there a place where you feel you want to strengthen your emuna or feel more the trust that God has in you or that life has in you? Feel more your trust in yourself. Feel more capable of hearing this wisdom within, feeling the life force within, whatever it is for you. A moment of prayer for your own faith, for your own emuna to be strengthened. And a moment of gratitude for yourself that you took this time to sit together and to learn to lot together and to reflect together. Thank you for your kind attention. And I really want to invite those of you who are not on camera and who can put your camera on if it's available to do so because I just love seeing your faces. And mm -hmm. um, I'm ready for questions. And you can raise your, yeah, Alex. Yeah, I was just going to thank you so much for, for that wonderful presentation and um, just to welcome everybody uh, to ask questions. Feel free to raise your hands and then you can unmute um, if you would like to ask a question or make a comment. I see a question in the chat by Eva. Eva. So is trust simply becoming conscious of what we take for granted? I think it's a great, great question. I think it's a great question. I think it's part of it, Eva. I think it's part of it, right? In the sense that um, taking for granted in a way is a way of trusting, right? Is a way of trusting. Like I take for granted that I'm going to wake up next morning. I take for granted that, you know, my house is not going to crumble, which by the way, life reminds us that we really shouldn't take things for granted because things happen, right? And yet, because, you know, since about a century and a half because of medicine and because of um, kind of uh, the progress of science and technique, we die much less. We tend to take more and more things for granted, right? There was this prayer when I wake up in the morning because people used to die a lot up until three generations ago. Like I have a great grandfather who died of pneumonia, right? I mean, people used to die a lot in travel, from hunger, from illness, from, you know, you name it, and um, and we also we as Jews we've been through so much, right? Pogroms and the Shoah and being expelled from countries and like so much, so much, so much. And I think there was a humility in us um, that's been a little bit lost. The humility, like uh, really not taking things for granted, and um, um, when we don't take for granted that we're going to be there the next day. Um, then we're awake, we're alive, and we can really feel the trust of life, right? So paradoxically, when we take things less for granted, we have more faith. But reawakening faith is kind of bringing awareness and gratitude to what's already there. That's one, one at least one aspect of this. And then we have uh, S. Ox, and I apologize for my pronunciation, and I don't know if it's... Uh, what first name is, is it is, but you can write it in the chat so I can call you by your first name. And the question is, uh, if this, the citation from the quote about God said to Moses, I'll show you, said to yeah. Um, well, that's in the Torah, and that's in the Torah, and that, uh, and we have it in the source sheet. So uh, you can read it again uh, slower because I know that there was a lot of material right now. But to me, it's mind blowing because it's right there. 
it's not a commentary, it's not a mystical commentary, it's not Kabbalah, you know, it's not a midrash, it's like the pshat, like the simple literal level of reading of the text, reminding us of this great mystery of the divine, the divine, and that's the great Jewish revolution, by the way, that the divine cannot be um, boxed in a name or in a form, right? It's not a person, it's not a statue it's not even a being it is being with a with a large b this is who i am you want to know my name i will be that i will be you can't trap me you can close me in a name i am just being it's very very beautiful do we have other questions or even share i, I have i have a question for you rabbi how do you get past the some people will say compelling question or argument of an individual who thinks, who believes they think very logically, rationally, and scientifically, mm -hmm. and then say to you, give me proof. Give me some proof that I should experiment with faith. Mm -hmm. Someone looking for something tangible. Thank you. Thank you, Alan, for your question. I'll tell you, I've heard some uh, scientists, some mathematicians and, and physicians, and they all say the same thing. The more you, uh, you, you become sophisticated and precise in science, the more you get to a point of mystery. You, you, the more, like, right? So scientists, all of them, if you take a question and you take it to the end, at the end, they're going to be like, I don't know. We don't know. It's a mystery. We don't know why atoms move this way. We don't know why, you know, the universe, why the Big Bang, why this, you know, at the end of everything is a great mystery. I think it's um, Einstein talked about this. Einstein actually talks very beautifully about God and he self-defined as a non-believer. He talks so good because I think the more um, you're tuned with the crazy mystery of the universe, the more you realize how small we are. And the great mystery, basically. And then another thing I can say, and that's personal, but it's like the most relevant things in my life, and maybe in yours, all of you, I'm curious to hear, the things that were like so clear, I never had any proof for that. I never had any proof that, you know, my husband was going to be the right one. I never had any proof that I was meant to do this or that, you know, like, I don't, we don't have proofs. Like proof is a small thing. It's, it's on another level, but the, the, the biggest things in our life and the biggest thing we, we were able to, I'm ready to dedicate everything to and give, to give everything and to take big leaps. It's because we had this deep intuition and that's the great mystery also, this deep intuition that sometimes when we feel aligned and we just know, we just know, this is, the, this is where I want to live, this is what I want to do, this is, you know, when we are aligned, right? So yeah, I really don't have a problem with people wanting, you know, proofs and rational discourses because the truth is, for the real things, they're never at our proofs. Thank you for your question. Um, I, I just look at the world like, you look at flowers and there's an intelligence to the, the design, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, like, it, it can't be random. It just can't. And the more you know about medicine and the human body and even just the heart alone. Like there's such an intelligence to design that it can't all be random. So 
that's how I look at it. Yeah, and that's exactly how um, that's exactly how Maimonides looks at it. Like this is my argument. Maimonides actually tells us something very beautiful. He says, you know, you can't meet God directly because God. And by the way, that's that's why I trust our God in a way. I trust it because it's beyond all my human projections, right? And so Maimonides says you can't grasp this great mystery. Um, what you can is see the reflection of it through creation. So by looking at flowers, by looking at sunsets, and it becomes a meditation technique that he invites us to do. And it's called Hidbunenut. And he says, basically, you want to feel love and awe for the divine for life? Look at nature and you'll see. Like you just, you can have a reflection of God through that. And I just want to share with you, it's funny because I'm building a Jewish meditation app with my husband. And this morning we're doing a haklatot, we're doing um, recordings. And I recorded that meditation about the, the, and the, and the script. In the script, we had like the intelligence of the design of nature. So it resonates for sure. Yeah. I think we're up to the hour. Thank you, friends. I just want to thank everyone for your beautiful attention. And um, I want to thank you again, Alex and Rashmuli, for inviting me in the Valley Bit Midrash. Like, my much a pleasure. And uh, I think you all have my website and you'll see the upcoming offerings. And We'd love to keep learning together. Alex, yes, the pleasure is all ours. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to everyone for being here today. Um, as Rabbi Shmuley mentioned, our next uh, class will be next Thursday on the 23rd. We'll be joined by Rabbi Dr. Nathan Lopez Cardozo. That'll be at 10 a.m. Mountain Time as well. Uh, so we hope you can join us for that. And thank you again for being here. Wishing you a great rest of your day. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybaitmadrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybaitmadrash.org donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.